Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. We are in this series called Unstuck. Anybody ever felt stuck before? Yep. Anybody ever, if you're going to be really honest and I'll start us off, ever felt stuck in sin before? Yep. Two of you raised your hand, the rest of you are like, real, like, hey, <laughs> y'all, it's all right. Like, uh, I think sometimes when we play religious games, we try to hide our brokenness, but it's actually only when we're willing to confront and deal with and expose our brokenness that we get to receive the life of Christ. And so I'm just going to let you know this morning, this is a shame-free zone. Shame off you. And I feel like what God wants to do is he actually, what Jarrett was saying, he's growing us. He wants to give us an upgrade. But if we can't speak honestly about where we have been and even where we are, where we struggle, we're never going to get to what God has for us. Amen? And so last week I, I preached a message called You Don't Have to Sin Anymore. And I'm glad that Jarrett has gone from five to 10 minutes. That's really <laughs> impressive. Um, but here's the, the reality of that. You see, when Jesus came, he actually did come to set us free from the bondage of sin. Some of us have a, a, a theology that says that we will we'll keep sinning until we die. Let me say this to you. I'm not talking about your own perfection. I'm talking about receiving his perfection. But when we begin to think that way, maybe there's a specific pattern of sin in your life and you're like, I'll never be free of this until I die. When we begin to think that way, we make death our savior and not Jesus. And so we have to understand that Jesus has actually provided a way for you to be free. And what it takes is us to change the way that we think in order to walk out of it. This morning as I was praying for us, I really felt like God wants to give us a new lens to see sin and temptation. Because when we see it the right way, we actually get to walk victoriously. Some of you have a struggle that is really deep and you've grown hopeless in. And I really feel like this morning, God actually wants, he wants to change that in you. See, when we read Romans 6, it tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin. What that means is that you don't have to sin anymore. You are not bound to it because Jesus has actually set you free. It goes on to say this, that you're a slave to the one that you obey. In a minute, we'll look at Genesis chapter three. And what we'll find is this, that when Jesus sets you free, what you'll find is that now you have the opportunity to choose. Say choose. choose. And the opportunity to choose is actually an invitation to a greater way of living. And when we begin to realize that, then we move from our own self-reliance into trusting him. See, I struggled a long time with some sin patterns and what I found, the advice that I got came out of a religious mindset that was basically this, just try harder. 
And, and so you get to try harder thing and then you get into a spiritual atmosphere. What I mean is there's like religious atmospheres and then there's like, it's still religious, but it's spiritualized. And in a spiritualized atmosphere, it's something like pray harder, spend more time with Jesus, read your Bible more. Here's what that mentality is doing. It's still saying try harder, but it's just spiritualizing the try harder piece. And so many of us have tried to pray our way out of sin and found ourselves still stuck. And this morning, I believe God wants to give you an upgrade. You up for an upgrade? Because I, I don't think that it starts with the temptation in front of you. It starts with recognizing what tree you're living out of. So go with me to Genesis. We'll be in chapter two. They don't have that for you on the screen, so we'll get to what they have in a minute, but I just want to set the stage for you. Genesis 2, verse 8, it says, Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put man who he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, say tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Say, tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there's two trees. There's two options, okay? Let me say this to you. Some of you want to be controlled by God. Like you, you would rather hand over your free will to God and become a robot for him so that you could live the life that he's called you to live. Here's the reality. He does not want robots he wants mature sons and daughters. And you'll never get mature sons and daughters if you don't give choice. Parents, let me just talk to you for a second. If you want to raise your kids to choose well and to follow Jesus in the end, you're never going to get there by controlling them. You have to teach them how to steward their free will and their choice, which means this that you have to have the option of failure. They have to have the ability to mess up. If you protect them from the ability to mess up, what you'll do is birth rebellion in them. But when we begin to give our kids choices, and here are the choices that you give. You give them choices where the consequences measure the stage of life that they're in, all right? So I don't hand my four-year-old the keys to the car and say, you choose what to do, right? She's not ready for that. And so anytime that we want to see people move into maturity, we don't tell them what to do. We provide them with the choice and can give them wisdom and relationship in order to get there. When God created Adam and Eve, he wasn't looking for them to do everything that he said all the time and do nothing but that. He wasn't looking for robots. Instead, he was looking for mature sons and daughters who would learn to think like him and walk in relationship with him in such a way that it would carry his glory to cover the whole earth. In order to do that, he had to give them a choice. Here is the nature of love. 
Love always gives a choice and always is a choice. You can never force love. Love is found in the tree of life. And what you'll find is that the tree of life is actually the tree of love. And so God planted two trees and he says, hey, this one is life. And this one is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let me give it to you another way. This is the tree of making decisions outside of relationship. The knowledge of good and evil. God isn't trying to keep us from knowledge, but what he's trying to do is keep us in relationship. What he wants to do, the option he provides us is that we can walk in relationship or not. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil is knowledge outside of relationship. And so there's two trees in the garden. Let's pick up the story. Verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man, put them in the garden and put them to, to work. Hey, let me just say this. Work is not the curse of sin. Work predated sin. Work is an opportunity for you to live out your destiny. It's not a curse, okay? Some of us are living as if like work is a, is a curse and we try to avoid it at all costs. That's for free, but work is actually a gift. You'll never fulfill your destiny without the opportunity for work. That's free. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free, say free. See, what Jesus did is he came to set us free, not to put us in a different type of bondage. Some of you think that Jesus came to put you into spiritual religious bondage. The spirit of religion comes with try harder, follow this list of rules, get your act together on your own so that you'll be worthy of relationship. When we live from this tree, the way that we face relationship is that if I behave well, then I get relationship with God. If I misbehave, then God wants nothing to do with me. That's a religious mindset. Most of you have been taught to live that way. Most of you have been taught that God wants nothing to do with you and he will leave you if you sin, if you blow it. That's not the nature of God, and I'll prove it to you biblically. Do it. Do it. I will. It's coming. <laughs> Don't worry. So you are free to eat any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Here's the reality. When we go our own way, we separate ourselves from the one who is life. When we think poorly of God, when we don't trust that he is not simply good, but actually good to us, then we're tempted to go our own way because we don't trust that he's going to take care of us and that he has both his, his best for us at heart and the power to accomplish that best. And so we go our own way. So let's fast forward into 
Genesis 3, 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Have you ever heard that? Typically, it is a whisper that sounds like our own voice. And it says, did God really say that? In that are are two distinct lies. One, that God's not good. Two, that God's holding out on you. Is it really a big deal if you look at that? Is it really a big deal if you say that? Well, you know, you, you don't really have any other option than to explode. You have no other choice, right? It's like the only way you're going to get your needs met is by doing this. Nobody else is going to take care of you. You're on your own. Did God really say he's going to take care of you? Did God really say he's going to provide for you? Did God really say that he has a spouse for you? We begin to hear those whispers and it will always lead us down a dangerous path. It says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from any tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. So she got a good response here. That's a solid response. This is actually the same type of response that we see Jesus give in Matthew chapter four when he's tempted by the devil. You see, your victory doesn't come by outpowering or outsmarting the devil. You outtruth the devil. Roman, or, uh, John 8.32 says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The flip side of that is that when you believe a lie, you find yourself in bondage. And then the, the devil comes back because he's, he's an arguer. He's the adversary. He's a really good prosecuting attorney. He says, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. You will be like God. Genesis chapter one. In the image of God, he created the male and female. You see, the enemy wants to convince you that you don't have what you already have so that you'll sell your soul in order to get what you've already got. They were already created in the image of God. He's a liar and the father of lies. And what he wants to do is convince you that if you listen to his voice, you'll get what you've already got. So 
says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Let me talk to you for a second about the nature of temptation. Temptation will always come at you in a moment of weakness. Let me just imagine, it doesn't say that in there. Let's just imagine that it's about dinner time and Eve was supposed to eat. And so all of a sudden the enemy got her with a hook. Hey, that thing looks good. James chapter one, verse 14, it says that, and we'll go there together. It says, it's talking about the nature of sin. Starting 13, it says, when tempted, no one should say God has tempted me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged off, when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Here's what it says. It says when, it says we're dragged off by our own evil desire. Let me change that word for you. The original Greek actually doesn't say evil desire. It says that you're dragged off by lust. Say lust. lust. Now, in the West, we tend to, th- to think of lust as simply a sexualized term. It's way bigger than that. It's actually an a, a insatiable desire for what you don't have. Lust is built on the lie of lack. Say lack. So here's what, what James is saying is that it's not our own evil desire, okay? It's actually our own sense of lack. Here's why, that, why that's significant for you. The reason why that got translated as own evil desire is because there is in the West a belief that we still have a sin nature. But what Jesus did, Jeremiah prophesied this, is that he actually gave us a new heart at salvation. You've been given a new heart. You have a mind that needs to be renewed. Romans 12, 2, that we're actually transformed. That word transformed is the same word as transfigured. We're made to be like Jesus by the renewing of our mind. But we actually have been given a new heart. Say, I've got a new heart. Most of us don't know how to live out of our new heart because we're living out of our old mind. And here's what happens. If you were to have a limb amputated, then for years, your nerves would not recognize that that limb has been amputated. And so you get what's called phantom pain. And your nerves, like if your arm was amputated, your nerves would still feel pain 
even though that arm is not there. Some of us struggle, probably all of us struggle with phantom pain, with phantom sin. And we begin to think that we are what's already been taken out of us. And we live out of that old nature that's actually no longer part of us. You've actually been given a good heart. You see, if you don't believe that you've been given a good heart, then by faith you'll sin. Serious. By the nature of your belief, if you believe that I'm going to sin and that's all I'm ever going to do, then your sin actually happens by faith. It's the consequence of your belief system. But when we begin to lay hold of the fact that I've been given a new heart so I don't have to sin, doesn't mean that I won't ever sin. Let me be very clear. It puts me back in the garden where now I've got two trees in front of me and I have the opportunity to choose. But when I think that I've already chosen the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then I'll continue to live out of that place and it will cost me my very life. But when I recognize that what Jesus did is he placed me in the tree of life and no longer am I bound by my behavior to get into life. I'm bound by his behavior at the cross. And so now it's been settled. I'm in Jesus and I don't have to ever move back over here. See, here's the, some of us trip over Romans 7, where it says, I do what I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do, all that stuff. And we, we use that as an excuse to keep sinning. When you read the Bible the way it's written, that's one long letter. You've got to read the whole thing together. And what Paul is saying, and it's very clear in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is the system has changed. Your right standing with God is no longer based on your behavior. It's based on the new covenant that put you in Jesus as a covenant partner. And so now I'm stuck in him. And I get to produce life as a fruit. And so... What, here's what happens to many of us. If I could just be real honest with you. In the last few weeks, my emotional tank has been low. It doesn't take me out of covenantal relationship with Jesus. But I begin to live as if I'm tied to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so I'm not experiencing, God's been turning this around in me, I'm not experiencing the life that comes over here. So what I found myself doing, even in preparation for this message, is I found myself back over here, totally worn out, exhausted, and thinking, man, I've got to perform. I've got to get it together for these people that I really love. And I found myself not, thank God, in any sort of like ridiculous sin, but I found my emotional bandwidth low and my, my temper running out. And I found myself forced into performance, trying to be close to Jesus 
so that I can get something to give. And what God did is he said, Joel, you're supposed to live over here. I just invite you to live right here. Just receive my life. Just live in my life. And let whatever you do be the overflow of life. You don't have to perform for me. You don't have to perform for them. You're not defined by what they say. I'm not defined by what you say. Sorry, sorry to hurt your feelings. You don't have the right to define me. And here's the, the truth. If I pastor you to please you, then I've lost all authority in your life. But if I live from the tree of life, then I've got life that overflows. And temptation loses its appeal because I lack nothing. Ephesians 1.3, you've been given every spiritual blessing in Jesus. So what the enemy does is he brings those phantom pains. You've already been set free and you may have experienced like Jarrett just 10 minutes of freedom. But you are free because if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. But you start listening to those phantom pains, to those lies, and you start moving back over here, living out of your knowledge instead of out of your heart communion with Jesus. And that makes us once again susceptible to temptation because all of a sudden I feel alone and totally, totally aware of my perceived lack. And that's where lust comes in. For some of you, that lust is, is sexual. For many of you, it's, I've just got to try harder. I've got to perform more. I've got to get it together. And the key to living a victorious life, the key to overcoming temptation is to live over here in the tree of life. Just recognize I just, I've got his life. He's got everything I need. Sometimes I feel it, sometimes I don't. This isn't, we're not feelers, we're believers. We live based on our faith, not on our, right? So then we go to 1 John 1. It says, this is the message that you have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out of the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. How much sin do you get purified from? All. all sin, come on. It says if we claim to be without sin, here's what it's saying. It's if you claim that you don't need Jesus, if you claim to be without sin, you have no need for the blood, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. It says, my dear children, verse, or chapter two, verse one, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. I write this to you so that you will not sin. What he's saying is when we recognize the place of life that we get to live out of, when we live in communion with him, then we don't have to sin. You get to live in freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, right? So before I ever have a sin issue, I actually have a communion issue. 
Because what the enemy is always trying to offer me over here is what I already have over here. And when I recognize that I've already got it over here, then I don't have to go over there. He says, I'll write this to you so that you will not sin. And then here, this is, this is the key. He says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our own, but for the sins of the whole world. I love that but if. I kind of like buts in the Bible. <laughs> because here's what it means, is that my relationship with God is not based on my behavior. And so if I blow it, my life is not hopeless. It's not like the, the ship is wrecked and there's no hope at all. But I, I just get to go to Jesus. See, most of us are wrestling with sin as rooted in the lie that we have to get it together for Jesus. And so the way that we face our sin is not over there, it's over here. I've got to get my act together for Jesus. I need to read my Bible, which is good, right? And the enemy always tries to tempt us with good things. He, you know what I mean? Like he, he didn't give them poison. It was fruit. It was a decoy that looked as if it had life, but it was just full of death. Some of us have gotten stuck in religion and we're trying to do all of the right things instead of rest in the right person. And we begin to rest in the right person, it begins to transform us because it's like, man, I've just got his love flowing in me. You know that Jesus told this to the Samaritan woman at the well. He said, if you come to me, I'll, I'll give you water that will never run dry. You'll never be thirsty again. In fact, you're going to have streams of living water bursting from out of you. When we live over here, we live thirsty because we just need more to satisfy us. We just gotta get more in us. We just gotta make it happen. We've gotta try harder. You can live like this in the world and you can live like this in the church. The language is different, but it's exactly the same. When I'm here, I have to overcome temptation in order to get with God. So everything I do, my life is lived for God. When I live over here, I get to live with God. Oh, and there's so much life. I don't have to perform for him. When I am feeling lack, I just get to come to him and say, hey, Father, I've got this lie of lack and it's leading to lust. Just trust you just to fill me up. I'm not gonna try harder. I'm not gonna perform for you. I'm not gonna try to make it all happen. I'm just gonna rest. I'm gonna trust. You see what happens when, when we get tempted, the attack is always on our relationship with God, on our identity and on our purpose. When we recognize that even the smallest things, the attempt is actually to pull us over here. Here's what I've come to do in my life is that I've, I've recognized this is the place that I'm supposed to live. This is, where I, this is where I'm seated with Jesus. Here's what that looks like. Romans 14, 17, for me, this is like life verse. 
says, the kingdom of God, that's where I live. Because I'm a son, I'm a child of God, I have full access to everything in the kingdom, and so do you. It's in my inheritance. It's all mine. Again, Ephesians 1, 3, we've been given everything in Jesus. So I, everything that the kingdom is, is supposed to be mine. That's supposed to be my normal, all right? Back to Romans 14, 17, it says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, which is right standing with God. It's right relationship peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so now what I recognize is that if any one of those three, righteousness, peace, and joy, are not present, then somewhere along the way, I've disconnected myself from the life source. Started moving over here. And sometimes it's really, really subtle. You see, it used to be that I would just recognize when I had blown it big, right? But now I could recognize the way that I face temptation is I recognize, oh, wow, the enemy's coming at me because he thinks that he can get me right now because of, there's a perception of lack. And his whispers come and they begin to speak into that place of lack. When I recognize, whoa, here, here's, here's what I've started to do. I've started to see temptation as a gift. Serious. And let me say this to you. Temptation is not a sign that you are a slave to sin. It's a sign that you are alive. Amen. Right? Yes. Matthew chapter four, I think it's verse one or two, says, that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Temptation is not simply your opportunity to fall. It's actually your opportunity to live victorious over the schemes of the enemy. So when he throws something at you, just begin to think, oh man, I can hit that one. I'm gonna hit that one out of the park. I don't, I don't need to, no, that one's not getting me. And so the way that I begin to see temptation is actually, is the enemy is pointing out to me, trying to deceive me, but, he, but, but he's, he's found a hole that God wants to fill. Are you with me? So, hey, Joel, you really need to get it together because Sunday's coming and you don't have a message formed. What's gonna, ha- is the whole church gonna leave you? What's gonna happen? They're gonna think you're a failure and that you don't know God. Oh, I'm just gonna sit right here. You wanna see my notes that are on the ground that I haven't looked at the whole time? There's hardly anything on there. It's just scripture. Why? Because I know that I've got the tree of life and I get to enjoy that fruit. And I don't have to, so the enemy's like, perform, perform. No, I'm gonna rest. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sleep in a little bit. You know, Jesus was taking a nap in the middle of the boat in the storm, right? Sometimes the 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 most holy thing you could do is take a nap. 
and we just rest in him. Right? Like, and what religion tries to say is, oh man, you've got to get it together. You've got to make it happen. You've got to overcome. I'm like, no, I'm just going to rest in him. And here's what I, I don't mean rest like you just do nothing. I mean, it's that you receive his love. I'm so loved by him. I'm so loved by him, I don't have to perform for you. I'm so loved by him that I don't have to have it all together. Because in him, I've got everything that I need. You see, the way we tend to teach against temptation is we try to give schemes that are lived out of this tree. So live over here, just try harder. Make sure you're not around that person. That way you won't talk bad about them. That way you won't be angry. Make sure you don't do this. Make sure you don't look at that. Make sure this and that and that. And let me say this. I'm not saying that you need to put yourself in harm's way. There's wisdom in that. I'm not saying that, hey, maybe you don't need to go be on your phone at two in the morning. There's probably wisdom for you in that. But when your schemes to overcome temptation are found in what you do, instead of who you're in, you'll always find yourself stuck. But when we learn to rest in him, we get to live unstuck. We get to live free. We find that we have patience for our spouse, for our kids, maybe for our parents. Believe this morning that the invitation is not simply to confess, and it's definitely not to try harder, it's just to rest in him. I believe that what God wants to do is unlock that stream of living water that's inside of you. That provides you everything that you need. How many of you just say, man, I could, I could use that stream. Like I just could use that. Would you just stand if that's you? Lord, I thank you that you're just pouring out life on us. Lord, I thank you that you have so much life for us. You see, when we begin to live out of the tree of life, what happens is this, that we learn that we just have to receive. you just receive God's love for you. He loves you. I you to receive his unconditional acceptance of you. You are accepted. The new covenant changed your acceptance from your performance to Jesus's performance on the cross. It's been settled. It's finished. You are unconditionally accepted. You are loved. Doesn't matter what you did last night, you're loved. You don't have to do anything to be loved, you just receive it.
just feel like this morning that God wants to pour out His joy on you. There's evidence of His life in you. Father, I thank you that you're releasing joy. Thank you for life. You may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You've not experienced the fountain of life. This would be a good time to give your life to Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor. It's probably that person that brought you. Maybe you've been coming together for a while. I just want you to say, hey, I just want to know Jesus. If you don't have anybody, I've got a whole bunch of folks up here at the front. Just They're seated in the front and they'd love to pray with you, but I feel like this morning is a good time to give your life to Jesus. what we're going to do church we're going to begin to live over here and we're not going to have to manage sin we're going to manage life you're going to have so much that you're not going to know what to do with and it's just going to begin to spill out on the people around you I believe that's what God has for us some of you just feel really stuck And you're just like, man, I just need somebody to pray for me this morning. I would love to pray with you this morning. And so you could just come down front now. And if you just like, man, I just need a touch from God just to unlock that. You just need somebody to agree with you. I'd love to pray for you. We're just gonna worship for a few minutes this morning. We're just gonna keep worshiping. And let me say this. Our worship is not simply what we offer to God. It's how we commune with God. Some of us have been approaching worship from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let me sing songs to God to get something from God instead of let me enjoy my love relationship with God. I feel like even this morning, for some of you as we sing in just a minute, it's going to unlock something in you as you recognize, man, I'm singing to the one that I love and he's singing right back to me. I'm not trying to force it or perform for it. So God, we just thank you, Lord, that you are transforming the way that we see you, that you're planting us with you in the tree of life, that we can eat from the tree of life all the days of our life. In Jesus' name.